0: So, today, we are finishing up our series on the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter four, starting at verse two. We've got a lot of text to plow through today. And what we're gonna see, of all the directions we could take this, what I want to share with you today uh, is the concept of moving forward as a church. How many of you know we want to move forward as a church? Good. That's the right answer. Good job. And that looks like many things, but that is our heart. That's our heart as leaders for us, for you guys, for our church. We want to become a better, stronger, healthier, uh, more effective church. And in a few weeks... We're going to share some of the plans, some of the uh, specific things the Lord has laid on our hearts that we believe he is leading us into, specific plans, you know, for the fall and beyond, even with COVID and all that. But today, we're gonna ground ourselves in a few principles from God's word, because that's always something we need to do. So Colossians 4.2, the first thing we're gonna see is that we need prayer. Somebody say, we need prayer. If we're going to move forward, we need prayer. So let's read uh, verses 2 through 4 together. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here's the thing with prayer. All of you guys have been around church long enough, and I'm think i not saying you specifically are guilty of this, I just think Christians in general, sometimes what we do is we act or we assume like we know all there is to know about prayer, like we're experts at prayer, we got it all figured out, yet sometimes our experience is a little bit different than what our assumptions might be. Sometimes we fail to engage in prayer like we should, or at least that is something that I struggle with and have uh, at other times in my life. Maybe you don't. So what I wanna do, I wanna just give a quick refresher crash course on prayer. I know that you will have heard this before don't nod off to sleep be encouraged by this because again even if you're decently good at this we all have room to grow in this area and we need to move forward in prayer if we're going to move forward as a church so of all the things i could say about prayer prayer in its most pure form is talking with god it's talking with god communicating with god here's the thing with god he is a relational god Okay, sometimes we may falsely get this idea in our heads that God is this distant, unknowable, faraway, sort of absentee landlord kind of God. That's not what he's like. God is a relational God. Matter of fact, he has always existed in three parts, as you know, Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three parts of the Godhead who've always existed, they've existed in perfect relationship and harmony with each other. So that's just part of his character. Furthermore, God wants a relationship with us, with you. And I want you to just like, we can, like, we can blow right over that super quickly. Yeah, yeah, God wants a relationship with me. Think, just think about it. Can you imagine the God who created the heavens and the earth, who has always existed, he lacks nothing, he needs nothing, he certainly does not need a relationship with us if he's going to function, you know what I mean? He, he's just fine without us, yet he wants a relationship with you. That was just like boggling my mind this week, that God would want that, knowing what I know about myself and the things that I've done in my life against God, that he would still want a relationship with me. Like I kind of just hinted at, we have sort of made that relationship with God uh, impossible. Uh, he, he wants it with us. That's part of our specific design and function. But we have sinned. We have turned away from God. We've walked from him. We've turned our back on him and rebelled against him. And sin, as you know, separates us from God. It, it, it is as though we've just put a wall in between us and God. There's now a gulf, a chasm in between us. And we, we have made that, that wasn't God, that was us. Even still, even still, in spite of all of the things we've done against God and apart from God, he still wants a relationship with us. And so he, out of his great love and mercy, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place. Jesus did that through his sacrifice, right? And he rose from the grave, So he proved that he has the final word. He is greater. He didn't just die, but he died and rose because he is Lord. He is king. He is greater. He has overcome. And so now we have the opportunity to put our trust in Jesus, to put him first, to repent of our sins, to turn away and to turn to him, and then we're saved, period, exclamation mark. There's no star beside it. If you have put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and have committed yourself to following him, friends, you are saved. Anybody thankful to be saved today? I sure hope so. Yes, Lord. So, once we're saved, now we can come into that relationship with God, right? That's part of our function and our design. That's that's part of the reason. That's part of the, the, the DNA of our very lives and our very existence. And prayer... Prayer is one of the means by which we operate in that relationship with God. That's one of the means by which we participate in it. Prayer is, like I said, communication. You can't really have a relationship without communication. You know what I'm saying? It's vital to any relationship, it's a lifeline, it brings nourishment, encouragement. I don't say this to be a jerk or condemning or, or judging or anything. I'm just saying, if you don't have communication with the Lord in your walk, I'm guessing you probably don't have that greater relationship with him. And that's an invitation, not a condemnation because you can have a really good relationship with him if we choose to press in and, and pursue him, one of the means by which is prayer. And something else that's really neat about prayer is this. God already knows our heart, you guys know that? God knows your heart today. Somebody says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, no, it's okay. God already knows everything about us, every inkling, every thought, every desire, every longing, every dream, everything. He already knows it. Yet, he still wants us to bring them to him. Isn't that neat? Like nothing that we can say surprises him, but he still wants us to bring it to him. I think that's super cool. That's the father heart of God. He already knows it, wants to hear it anyway. Now, you have to understand though, a good relationship is two-way, not one-way. It's a two-way street, not a one-way street. We St. Johners know all about our one-way streets, amen? I have an aunt who is not from here, and I think it was like back in the 80s. She was visiting down here for something, and she got herself going the wrong way uptown on a a one-way street. She's not the first, nor will she be the last to do that, but now she swears up and down that she will avoid uptown at all costs, and I'm pretty sure she has. My brother used to live on Orange Street uptown, and if you know anything about Orange Street, you'll know that you can't just drive from one end of it to the other in a straight line. And I will ask the Lord, my plan is to ask the Lord about this someday, why this is, but for some of the span of Orange Street, it goes this way, but then... You have a do not enter sign, and it's going one way the other way. I have no idea why that's a thing, yet it is. So we know about our one-way streets, and prayer is not supposed to be one of them. Not only do we talk to God, we listen to God. And that is something, I'll just simply say this, that's something we need to cultivate for our whole lives. Our listening to God is a lot harder than sometimes it should be. If that's your experience, don't be discouraged, because... That is the human experience. We lifelong, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been alive, there's still room to grow in our listening to God and our talking to God in prayer in general. So that is a crash course on prayer. You're welcome. We speak to God. He speaks to us. That back and forth is, is vital for the relationship. It nourishes us, sustains us. Yet, sometimes we're inclined not to do it. And I was wondering about that, why is that? Even though we know what prayer is, we know it's really good for us, we don't pray like we should. And I would say one major reason for that is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. And to just super generalize, he does not want anything at all happening that is good between you and God. Anything that could possibly be beneficial or honoring to God, he doesn't want that. He certainly doesn't want us to pray. So what he tries to do is he tries to muddy up the communications, keep the line of communication between us and God closed. He tries to distract us or tell us we have better things to do. He convinces us we're too busy or nobody's really listening or prayer doesn't really work or um, I have other things I'd rather do. He distracts us, and as a result, we don't pray. Sometimes, like... It can be a direct, Satan is trying to block that sometimes just because of our own stupidity or or dullness, we don't, whatever. The point is, sometimes we don't pray, and as a result, we don't grow. We don't pray, so we don't flourish in our faith, but we wither in our faith. A lack of prayer never leads to growth. So it is time, my friends, we are going to get back into Colossians. I'm on a sidebar, but that's okay. It's time for us to get serious about prayer. That's what I'm saying. Let's not waste our time here. We just finished our 40 days of prayer this week, which is great. And don't answer this out loud, but did you do it? We tried to make that as easy as possible. We had prompts on there every day on Facebook. Did you do it? If you did do it, will you keep doing it? Because we don't just need prayer for 40 days, we need prayer for indefinitely, every day. So with that, let's go back into our text. It says in verse two of Colossians four, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So that word continue that starts us off. Well, right away, you can't continue something that you're not doing yet. So you gotta start doing it first. And when you start doing it, keep doing it. Continue in prayer, don't ever think you've graduated, don't ever think you have better things to do, don't ever think you don't need it anymore. We need to continue in prayer. How do we need to continue in prayer? Steadfastly. I feel like we've talked about that word steadfast a lot, but here it is again. Steadfast means solid and firmly planted and unshaken even when there's difficulty all around. Solid and secure. So to continue steadfastly in prayer means that you are continuing to pray even when your life is hard. Because that's something that happens. Oh, I was praying and then I came into a hard season and it was difficult and I just I, I was too stressed out to pray or I was too depressed or sad or whatever to pray. That's not of God. I'm saying that's of the enemy. Keep on praying even when you are hurting, even when your life is miserable, even when God seems distant, even when you don't feel like praying, keep on praying. That's what this is saying. It also says to do so while being watchful in it. So we all know what watchful means, right? That gives a good mental picture. To be watchful is to be alert, to be looking, to be paying attention. It's not, I'm here asleep on the job. It's like, I'm a guard at a fort and I'm looking out over the wall at all times closely to see what's coming and what's out there. That's what watchful is. So why do we need to be watchful in prayer? In no particular order, number one, if we're not watchful in prayer, we can miss the enemy's attacks. We already said about our enemy, and he wants no good for us. He is against God, and he's against us by extension as God's people. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that Satan is like a prowling lion who is roaring around and seeking someone who he might devour. So he is out there. He is out there. And if we're not being watchful in prayer, seeking the Lord, uh, pressing in in prayer, the enemy who is out there is much more likely to ambush us. Sometimes he can still get at us. Like, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, oh, if you pray, nothing bad will happen to you. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're asleep at the switch, how much more likely is it that he's right in there behind the bushes and he's about to pounce on us? That's what I'm saying. And he can come at us super quickly out of the blue you guys will know exactly what i'm talking about seemingly random out of the blue how did that happen all of a sudden we're bombarded with lies or temptations or distractions or weaknesses or what have you that stuff can happen super easily when we're not watchful but when we are watchful sometimes that can get us out of a little bit of a jam sometimes because we can see it coming, or when it comes, we can recognize it for what it is. That's what I'm saying. Number two, and this one's super good, why do we need to be watchful in prayer? Because God moves in prayer. Do you know that today? Sorry? Okay, (laughs) thank you. There are tons and tons, if you pick up your Bible and read through it, there are tons and tons of examples in scripture of where one or several or many of God's people are praying And the Lord shows up. He shows up in his glory and in his majesty and in his splendor and he does amazing things. Now, you have to understand, we can't force God to do anything. What I'm not saying is if you pray, it's like rubbing the magic lamp and it'll force God to come out because we're summoning him. We can't force God to do anything. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, okay? But what I am telling you is that God delights, he delights to meet with his people. When his people pray and seek him and press in, he loves to show up. And there is nothing better in the world than when God shows up. You guys know, you guys have seen God show up in your lives. I know you have. And we've seen God show up even as we've been meeting together at various times. When He comes in His glory, He changes hearts. He melts hearts. He changes situations. He breaks chains. He, he does stuff that only He can do. That's what our God is like. The problem though is this. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, that move of God doesn't happen. And sometimes, it's because we didn't ask for it. Again, we, sometimes God doesn't act because he has his own plan, his own will, he has a better way. But it says in James 4, 2, that we do not have sometimes because we do not ask. So how tragic is it that God, who is mighty and powerful and able and strong and who delights to meet with his people and show up. Like it says in 2 Chronicles 7, God says himself, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, the paraphrase is this, I will show up and I will do a mighty work among them. So how tragic is it, my friends, when that doesn't happen simply because we didn't pray for it. That's a fail. And I know that's been, I am I, sure that that's been a thing in my life. God's wanted to do stuff, I didn't ask. He said, okay. So we need to be diligent in this. Okay, what else? We need to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving, this says. We've come across that word thanksgiving a number of times in our text in Colossians, I hope you've seen it. Here's the general rule. If something is repeated, it's important. If you come across something and it says it over and over again, pay attention to it. God is trying to tell us something through that. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, Here's the image I got this week. You're welcome for this. It's like, uh, it's like salt or seasoning for your food. If you have a meal and you don't put salt or seasoning or hot, I'm a hot sauce guy, somebody help me, anybody else? Oh, please, 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 somebody. Okay, thank you, there's one brother in the back, okay. If you have a meal and you don't put that stuff on it, true or false, you can still eat that meal, true. But when certain meals, when you put whatever it is, your salt or your sauce or your your suicide wing sauce on it or whatever, that greatly enhances the flavor of your meal. You know what I'm saying? Like it brings it to a whole nother level. Here's what I just got right now. French fries without salt versus French fries with salt. I, I literally saw a whole bunch of heads nodding. You know what's up. Okay, so it is with Thanksgiving in our faith. If you are a Christian and you are someone who is sort of chronically not thankful, you chronically are not a very, um, someone that is um, having a lot of gratitude about stuff, listen, you're still saved, you're still saved, but what this is saying is that if you were to adapt thanksgiving into your life, if you were to season your life with thanksgiving, that one simple change can totally, totally make our lives look way different. Again, not because if we're thankful, nothing bad will happen, but because when we're thankful, it totally changes our perspective. And rather than being entitled and not grateful and saying, God, why haven't you done this for me? I don't have enough, blah, 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 blah. Think of the difference between that and God, I'm so thankful. Thank you for all that you've done for me. God, because of all you've done for me, how can I be a blessing to somebody else? That one change can make a huge difference in your life. I'm just telling you that. Verse three, at the same time, pray for us. The us is Paul, who's writing this book of Colossians, and his posse, who would go around, they would go from town to town, they'd plant churches, preach the gospel, Uh, they would kind of exercise some oversight in these churches. Uh, He says, pray for us. That's a reminder, by the way, we as believers should be praying for those who are putting their hands to work for the kingdom of God. In any capacity, whether it's elders of a church, or pastors, or missionaries, or parachurch ministries, or volunteers in the church, whatever it is, we should be praying for those who are going out into the harvest. You know what I'm saying? We need to pray for all of those people. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul is asking here for prayer so that a door for the gospel could be opened. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It says the mystery of Christ here. Uh, Jim Edel preached about that a few weeks ago. He did a great job. Go pat him on the back later. That's from Colossians 127. The mystery of Christ is this. Even though we were still sinners, even though we were not close to God, even though in our own stock we were not worthy and able to walk into his presence, Jesus died for us and rose. He ascended into heaven. He is there right now ruling and reigning as king of all kings and lord of all lords. And yet at the same time, he lives in us by his spirit. The mystery is that, Christ in you. Are you thankful for that today? So Paul is asking for prayer so that he can declare this mystery on account of which he is in the slammer. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. We should be very thankful that at least thus far in our history, in this part of the world, that's not a thing that happens. What that reminds us of, though, though you might not get thrown in prison, what this is kind of implying here is that if you're a Christian, if you take a stand for Jesus, if you take a stand for the gospel, it might cost you something. It might not go that great for you in some ways. You might come into difficulty because you're doing it. Now, it's worth it. I I hope and I pray that we are a people who will take a stand, you know, in the world for the Lord, but it can cause some pain and suffering. We can expect hard times because of that. Verse 4, Paul also prays that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we should be praying, number one, that we would be sharing the gospel with people. Number two, that our sharing would be clear. Here's the good news about that. Some of you might say, oh, I, I'd share the gospel, but I don't know what to say, and I'd make a fool of myself, and I'd stammer, and I'd stutter, and da whatever. Scripture tells us that when we make a defense for our faith, the Spirit gives us the words to say, so you're not on your own. You're welcome for that. So don't worry so much about, oh, my word, am I going to say it exactly right? Oh, what if I mess this up? I think God is more concerned that we're doing it in the first place than we're saying it exactly right with the right, you know, pronunciation of every single word and and my, my delivery of it. Furthermore, here's what I would say. God can take our words, our weak, sometimes not perfect fallible words and he can do something. If we step out in faith and share the gospel with people, God can do something between our lips and the other person's ears that we can't do. Like there are times in history, it's like, wow, people would say, I really did not say the gospel very clearly right there and people still hear it and receive it and get saved. You understand what I'm trying to say? Don't sweat the small stuff. Okay, so in all of this, Kind of a hodgepodge about prayer. That's exactly my point. We need prayer if we're gonna move forward as a church. I've been saying it all summer. You're probably sick of me saying it now, but if we're gonna move forward, undoubtedly the way forward is through prayer. If We don't pray, Harbor, we don't move forward. We probably don't just stay the same either. We probably move backward. It's very clear. So this will be my jerk moment. These are always fun. Don't answer out loud, but are you praying? Do you pray? Do you pray consistently? Do you pray regularly? I'll be even more of a jerk while I'm on the subject. You don't really have an excuse not to be praying. And I'm saying that to myself too, by the way. I don't think I'm, you know, whatever. We can't say, well, I don't think it's, uh, it's the elder's job or it's the pastor's job or my, minister, my life group leader's job. Yes, it is, it's also your job. You have a responsibility. Are you living up to that? We can't say, I'm too busy, I'm distracted, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering, I just can't pray. You can't say that. And here's what I will say, because I love you and I will say this and I love our church, if you aren't praying consistently, you're just stretches and stretches where there's no prayer, That sort of mentality is more akin to weighing the church down uh, than than helping, okay? That does not cause our church to rise, okay? But if you are praying, I would encourage you, thank you, that's helping immensely. Please keep doing it. We need prayer if we're going to move forward. And like I said, we're going to talk in a few weeks about some of the specific things the Lord has put on our hearts. Part of how they've come to our hearts is through prayer, But for now, let's be grounded in that principle. If we're gonna move forward, we need prayer. It's time for me to move forward, I gotta keep moving. The second thing we're gonna see today is that we need wisdom. Somebody tell me, we need wisdom. wisdom. If you look at verses five and six in our text, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So. It's great if we're praying, we need to do that. We also need wisdom in our church because we need to make sure that we are acting and reacting and going forward in a way that is good and helpful and beneficial. We've talked about wisdom before. Wisdom is not just knowledge, just knowing things. Wisdom is knowing when and how to implement that. It's knowing when to press the gas and when to press the brake, okay? My heart and my prayer for our church is that we would grow in godly wisdom in all of its forms, okay? And I think we have a lot of wise people in our church. That's awesome. We can still grow. But look at specifically what this says about wisdom. It's one specific vein that you see in this this text. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders, that's a reference to non-believers, non-Christians, those outside the household of faith. That's not an insult. It's just those outside the church. You know what I love about that, by the way, walk in wisdom toward outsiders? You know what that implies, and I love this? That implies that we should have connections with outsiders. It can be really easy, I have done this, I've been guilty of this, it can be really easy sometimes to kind of forget about outsiders. We can kind of wrongly develop this mentality of, well, I'm saved, I'm good, And that's kind of as far as we go. And even sometimes really good things, like, you know, we start to make friends in the church. That's awesome. We need friendships in the church. And the calendar starts to fill up with church events. All of a sudden, we don't have a whole lot of face time with unbelievers, or maybe your experience was this. You had friends who aren't Christians, and you've maybe had to pull back from them since you got saved, because even though you love them, they're not a super good influence on you, and you find that when you're hanging with them, like you're always going down a road you shouldn't go, so you've pulled back. Whatever the case is, suddenly you can look up and there's zero non-Christians in your life. I've been there. It's not good. Thankfully, I'm not there now. We need wisdom to navigate this kind of terrain of walking with outsiders though. Because here's what can happen. Sometimes we can go to the one extreme over here and we can say, I should be avoiding outsiders. They're no good 'er ne'er-do-wells and miscreants and they get me into trouble and I'm just gonna stay away from them. Well, that's an extreme position and that's not what we should take. Nor should we come to the other extreme which would say, I'm gonna hang out with non-Christians and I'm gonna just blindly indulge in whatever they're doing. I'm just gonna follow the crowd. I'm gonna just fit right in. Doesn't matter if I sin or not. Okay, that's too far to the other extreme. We need to exist kind of in the middle there. Our text does not say avoid outsiders or blindly indulge with outsiders. It says walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Our walk, by the way, is our ongoing routine. It's the way we live our life day by day, moment by moment. That's our walk, the process, the journey. We're all on a walk, and it says walk toward. I love the imagery. We're not running from outsiders. We're lovingly going toward them and engaging them with the gospel. So you might say, okay, Braden, well, how do I walk in wisdom toward outsiders? I know that I should, but how do I do that? I certainly do not have time to fully answer that question. Here's a few ways this might manifest itself. You might say, okay, I wanna walk in wisdom toward outsiders, so I'm realizing uh, that they need Jesus, they need to hear the gospel, so I'm going to not be on the one extreme, I'm not gonna be that religious sort of lunatic fanatic who, and you guys have kind of at least seen the stereotype of this, like every conversation that we're having, you know, I have to somehow twist that and turn it back to some religious thing like, Oh, how's the weather today? Oh, it's rainy, which reminds me that God will rain down hail and fire and brimstone on the unrighteous in the end days. Okay, that's weird. Don't do that. Don't be that person. But at the same time, we're not on the other extreme saying, oh, I don't really have to say anything. They'll figure it out. Someone else will share it with them. No, no, no. To walk in wisdom would be to say, okay, Lord, I'm praying for opportunities to share with these people, and I'm going to be looking for them, and help me to step out in faith when you present those to me. You get that? You see what's going on? Maybe, maybe you say, okay, I need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Here's this group I hang out with, and uh, I need to make sure that my behavior is Christ-like. Not so on the one extreme I can judge them and look down my nose at them, right? Oh, you sinner. No, it's not what Jesus did. But also you don't come to the other extreme where you're claiming a faith in Christ, but your actions are not representing that at all and you're kind of being a hypocrite, okay? Walk in wisdom in that middle ground. Maybe, again, uh, you're, you're... saying, I need to walk in wisdom, so I need to make sure my convictions are strong and that I know where the boundaries are and where the line is so that when I'm hanging out with these people, I don't cross it and I don't sin. Maybe, like I already said earlier, maybe to you, walking in wisdom toward outsiders is, hey, there's this group that I always get myself into trouble when I'm with them, so I need to be wise. I need to hang out with them in a different context. Or maybe I need to pull back and not see them for a while. I'll keep praying for them, I love them. That's kind of some ways that we can walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And I want you also to notice the urgency here. It says, making the best use of the time, okay? That means there's not time to waste in this. This is not, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week. We don't put it off. We are called to represent Christ well to the unbelieving world right now. Right now. Not tomorrow, today. So I will ask you, how is your witness? As a Christian, you have a witness. Is it strong? Is it positive? Are you pointing people toward Christ? Is it maybe not quite there? How is your witness? What kind of effect are you having on people? Let's not waste our time. Verse six says, let your speech. Okay, so one very important aspect of our walk is our speech, the words that we say. They can have a profound effect on those around us. Do you agree? Our words are so powerful, they could be, on the one hand, super strongly pointing people toward Christ, and people are just wanting to know Him way better. And, like, your words have the power to do that, to some extent. On the other extreme, your words can totally shipwreck someone's faith or, or their desire to have any faith. Your words can damage that badly. It says, Let your speech be gracious. So your words should show grace to people. Your words should speak blessing and kindness and forgiveness and peace to people. You're not yelling and hollering at them. You're not swearing. You're not uh, using foul language or dirty jokes or, or whatever, insulting them. You're being gracious, seasoned with salt. Here we are to the salt again. Back on the fries with salt. It's almost lunchtime, you have to forgive me. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13 that we as his people are the salt of the earth. So what that tells me is that, you know, salt brings out the best flavor and stuff. We should be bringing out the best in people by our words. We should be influencing the world for good. We should be pointing people toward Jesus with our words. Our words should be in that direction, not the other one, tearing people down. They should enhance the lives of the hearers, not ruin them. Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know what else I love? I love about that. That implies people are going to come asking. When you are living this life of wisdom among outsiders, particularly with your words, when you're treating people with kindness and respect and you are representing Christ well, they're going to come asking. They're going to say, what in the world is with that person in a good way? And they're going to come to you this is what this is implying they're going to come to you and say what is it about you what is it about you and you have a perfect opportunity on a platter to say it's all because of the lord jesus it's all because of what he's done for me it's just right there so now is the time here's what i'm saying in all this now is the time for the church to step up okay we need to be praying and we also need to grow in our godly wisdom my prayer my friends is that we would increase in godly wisdom in all across the board as a church. My prayer is that this godly wisdom would help us navigate sometimes that terrain that's a little bit tricky with outsiders. My prayer is that this godly wisdom would put us straight in the lives of unbelievers, right in the middle of it. Not to judge them as they sin or to indulge with them as they do, but to shine brightly for Christ. That's what this wisdom can help us do. My prayer is that godly wisdom would affect our speech, the things that we say, and that we would be a people whose words point people directly to Christ. That our words would give no grounds for disqualification or or turning someone away. My prayer is that this kind of life, this godly wisdom that we walk in, would cause unbelievers to look at us and say, what in the world is the secret? My prayer is that this godly wisdom would allow us to know exactly how we should answer each one who comes. We need wisdom if we're going to move forward as a church. We've got one bit of text left. It's a bit longer. We are going to like her through this. You have my word. Here's point number three. We need each other. Somebody say we need each other. If we're going to move forward, that's what we need. We need each other. So Paul is going to close out Colossians with a series of personal greetings. And uh, what I'm gonna do, like I say, we're gonna fly through it and we're gonna tie her together at the end. So buckle up, here we go. Verse seven, Tychius will tell you about all my activities. This is pre-internet days, you couldn't send out a tweet. He had to go send this guy. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. That's a very important role. That maybe doesn't sound very exciting, Hey, you, I want you to go and tell them how I'm doing. Okay, you got it? It doesn't sound that glamorous, but listen to me. That would bring, like in this context, that would encourage the body of Christ very greatly. So what I want you to see is that that guy was staying in his lane. He was fulfilling the ministry that had been put before him. He was doing what he needed to do. Verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, you say that name Onesimus sounds familiar. That's because it is. In the book of Philemon, he's mentioned he was a slave, a bond servant, but he became a Christian. And what this is saying here, it says he is one of you. So what that tells me is your status in Christ, listen to me, that transcends any other status the world might try to put on you. That, that transcends and trumps your social status, your economic status, your popularity, your background. Faith in Christ, belonging to Jesus, is at the top of the list. It supersedes all the rest. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. They're bringing a report. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Here's another jailbird like Paul. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. That Mark that's mentioned there, if you read the book of Acts, he's the same Mark who ditched Paul. They were on a missionary journey, and he said, I'm out of here, see you later. And Paul is furious at the guy. Paul has no use for the guy, but now look at where they're at. Something has obviously changed. Probably Mark has changed. Paul certainly doesn't see him the same way. My point is this. Here's the guy that messed up, but there's complete forgiveness. There's restoration. They've moved forward. There's harmony, and he is a useful brother in Christ now. I want you to see that and verse 11, Jesus who is called Justice. This is not the Lord Jesus, this is someone else with the same name. Some Bible scholar in the room, tell me what we know about Jesus who is called Justice. That is the exact right answer. We know basically nothing about him. Good job. We do know a little bit about him. Look at the next part. It says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me." Men of the circumcision means Jewish, Jewish, so that Jesus guy was Jewish, that's about all we know about him. Now we've talked about the Jew-Gentile thing, I'm not going to go back into it today. What's important here, and what we've said and what we're reaffirming here is it's not important whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's do you belong to Jesus or don't you? That is the most important question, that's the question we all need to answer. And. Uh, these three Jewish Christians have been a comfort to Paul. They've been useful, valuable, contributing members to the kingdom. doesn't matter what their background is, okay? Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you. We talked about Epaphras, seemed like forever ago in the first week of our series. I don't know if I mentioned, this is the last one. This is like, this is it of Colossians. Uh, Epaphras, We read in Colossians 1 that he uh, is likely the guy that planted this church in Colossae. He was kind of like their pastor. He's a go-between with Paul and the church. Right now he's with Paul. He's saying, tell the church how I'm doing. He greets you. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I love that. I love that. I want to tell you something. Your leaders pray that for you, that you would be mature in your faith and that you can stand confidently, fully assured in all the will of God. I hope that you will pray that over your own life and for your church, because we pray that for you. That's what we want to be, mature and assured. It's awesome. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So this Epaphras, he's not working just for these guys. He's all over the place, working for different Christians in other places. Luke, verse 14, the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. Luke, you guys know who Luke is. He was a doctor by trade. He traveled with Paul. He, oh, I don't know, wrote two major books of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. Demas, I know this is fast. You guys are doing great. Demas, he's kind of known, not as for a good of a reason. Later uh, in kind of chronological time, Demas, it says in a later place that he had abandoned his faith. So, I don't know what the reference is. I forgot to look it up. But uh, It's not so good, but here he's still in the fold. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. So I want you to just see, sometimes we get so caught up in what I'm doing, what we're doing right here in front of me, but like God is working and moving in other lives, in the church and in other churches and in other places in the region. What is God doing? We need to be aware of that. Uh, And to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha was a believer, obviously, who belonged to a church that met in her house. You have to understand how important that was back in those days. They didn't have big church buildings, big cathedrals. They were mostly underground because there was persecution. They maybe could go hang out in the temple. But for the most part, they relied on homes. So if you had a home to offer up that was big enough, you could have the church meet in your house. You couldn't, like, there were no large gatherings, right? It's kind of like during COVID, kind of sounds familiar to us. So this nympha, like don't just overlook that. She has, she has been willing to use what she has at her disposal, which is her home. And by using that, she's allowed the church to be encouraged and strengthened and blessed. Verse 16, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, So what would happen a lot of times is Paul or whoever would write a letter like this and it would get circulated and it would be read aloud uh, in the church and then other people uh, in other churches would hear it as well. And it also says, see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. We don't know what that letter is. It's believed that that's a lost letter, I don't know, that fell out the bottom of the mailbox or something. We don't have that anymore. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, best name in the whole list, just saying. Archippus, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. We don't know what his ministry would have been, but obviously the Lord has given him something to do, and Paul is encouraging him, hey, make sure you step into it and do it. And the Lord does that with us sometimes too, right? Sometimes the Lord says to all of us, here's what I want you to do. Like we've seen that today. He wants all of us to be praying. He wants all of us to be wise. Sometimes, though, the Lord might say to you, I have something just for you to do. I'm not, I'm not getting anyone else to do it, just you. So we step into those things and we do it. Last verse, Paul, I, Paul, read this, write this greeting with my own hand. He's verifying that he wrote the letter. Remember my chains. Hey, remember, I'm in prison, I'm struggling. Don't forget to pray for me. Grace be with you. And I love that that's how he closes, grace be with you. He doesn't end with the hammer coming down. It's hey, God loves you, God has grace for you. God's grace is what empowers us by his spirit and strengthens us and carries us through day by day. We need God's grace. Okay, thank you, speaking of grace, thank you for your grace and going through that long list with me. What's the point in all of this? Here's what I want you to see, it takes a church. That's what I want you to see. I hope that you can see from that long list, it's not just like, oh, a person or two is supposed to be doing everything around the church. You look at how all kinds of people were contributing and working and serving and pulling the chain and doing all kinds of stuff to support uh, the health and the life and the well-being of the church. And if you looked at that list again, you would see there's people from all different backgrounds and giftedness and life circumstance. You've got... uh, Jailbirds, you've got slaves, you've got abandoners, people who messed up in the past, you've got Jews and Gentiles, pastors, doctors, no names, messengers, people who have like a small group in their house, people who the Lord is working through in clear ways, people who are a little hesitant to jump into the water and do the works of ministry. And listen, they are all essential members of the family. All are vital, all are needed. The same is very, very, very true for us. Okay? If we're going to move forward as a church, we need to do so together. We need each other. We need to continually work together and use our gifts and press in together and seek the Lord and pray and be wise and pull the chain together if we're going to move forward. None are overlooked, all are vital, all are needed. We've, and we've read all the scriptures before, you know what I mean? Like I won't even go like how we've read other times, 1 Corinthians 12, all have, who are Christians have spiritual gifts. We've, we've talked about how uh, being the body of Christ, how uh, you know, each is a different part but all are necessary and I can't function without you and you can't fully function without me. We've talked about that. I don't even know what else to say about that. But my encouragement to you is this, don't hide in the shadows. If you are part of the Harbour family, listen to me, we need you. We need you. You have gifts, you have resources, you have a heart and a story to share, and we need you to be doing so. Don't hide in the shadows, don't make yourself scarce, don't disengage and drift off. You guys are here, that's a good start. Don't sit on the sidelines, get plugged in. Again, we're gonna share with you some plans of how you can do that in the coming weeks. But this is a call to arms, people. Now is not the time to just, uh, Put my feet up. We need to press in together. We need you. And I would dare say you need us. So it's time to wrap up. Thank you for your grace today. I appreciate it. Let it be very known. Listen to me. We want to move forward as a church. We want to move forward. Like, we love our church. We love hanging out with you guys. We love that all of you guys are part of the fold. But, like, we're not content. We're not content to just sit around. We need to move forward. And we believe that God has plans for us. We believe that God has good plans for us, that God has great love for us to harbor. So it's time for us to seek Him and press in together. We're going to talk again about how we're going to do that in the coming weeks, but today let's just be grounded in a few principles from Scripture. We need prayer, we need wisdom, we need each other. You guys tracking? Guys good? All right.